iTalk Audio is proudly sponsored by Hogstrike USA. Hogstrike is an industry leader in surgical microscopes. A brilliant fusing of Swiss optics, German engineering, and years of experience allow them to produce surgical microscopes, slit lamps, and ophthalmic diagnostics that exceed ophthalmic surgery needs and set future standards for optics, engineering, ergonomics, and imaging. Learn how you can work more efficiently and effectively with Hogstrike at hsmicroscopes.com. Welcome once again to iTalk Audio. My name is Daryl, your lovely host, and we have a fantastic guest with us today. I'm going to introduce him here in just a brief moment. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is, I think, a very relevant topic. It's been kind of brewing and slowly growing for about the past two years or so. I'm going to talk all about telehealth, probably call it by a bunch of different names. But without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Blake Williamson. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So for those not familiar with you, why don't you give us a brief rundown of who you are, where you come from, what you do, all that good kind of stuff. Yeah, so uh, my name is Blake Williamson. I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So the most important thing to know about me is I'm an LSU Tiger fan. Go Tigers. <laughs> uh, but when I'm not rooting for the Tigers, uh, I practice ophthalmology. I'm a third-generation uh, uh, ophthal uh, ophthalmologist here in the Baton Rouge area. did my training at Tulane. Um, and did a subspecialty with my father, Dr. Charles Williamson. And uh, here we're, we have the Williamson Eye Center, which has six clinics, uh, about uh, 14 doctors and 125 employees. And so we're a fairly large operation, and we focus on refractive cataract and microinvasive glaucoma surgery, as well as dry eye, uh, and also we have opticals at all locations. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, so we're here today to talk about something that, of course, during these trying times is on uh, all of the medical professionals' lips, something everybody's kind of talking about trying to figure out, which is telehealth, virtual appointments. So I figured we'd start out with just allowing you to give us pretty much a very simple, straightforward definition of what you and your colleagues are viewing as telehealth. What is telehealth, virtual appointments? What, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so telemedicine can mean many things, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a picture uh, that, that a patient sends you and you evaluate it, whether it's a phone call that is made or whether it's a full-on audio, uh, video, synchronous, uh, uh, a virtual experience. All those things can be considered uh, telemedicine. But I would say that, at least in the ophthalmology space, for many of the colleagues that I talk to, uh, we are mostly focusing telemedicine on that that uh, that audio video synchronous communication with the patient because um, as I'm sure we'll talk about that is what qualifies for the ENM code level three code uh, that CMS recently relaxed their guidelines on so most people are kind of uh, shooting for, for for that that AV synchronous experience with the patient all right and with that obviously this is a different patient experience and a, a different doctor experience as well you know doctors and patients are used to being one-on-one -on -one right there in front of somebody um, shining a light in the eye actually physically peering into an eye touching and looking you know mere mere inches away from an actual person telehealth virtual appointments telemedicine that's a vastly different way you're not physically in the same space anymore so that will present some challenges, which we'll talk about. 
But what is the primary difference that you've discovered in doing medicine in this particular fashion? Is it a big mindset change that you have to do? Is there, is there something that you kind of had to shift to be able to perform these appointments, essentially, in this fashion? Well, you know, I think the biggest surprise to me is how much the patients love it. You know, I, I thought <laughs> sure. that, you know, I would, have, I would have many patients that weren't, weren't interested and, in, in, you know, or were, perhaps they were intimidated by the technology. Obviously, in ophthalmology, our patients tend to be more elderly um, and perhaps less apt with their devices, et cetera. But, but I find that patients really have enjoyed it. Even those ones who sort of sluggishly agreed to uh, do a telemedicine visit oftentimes have been my most uh, exuberant uh, about the experience afterwards. So that's been a that's been a big surprise in terms of you know what we've had to do in terms of mindset on the physician side is we've had to kind of shift our mindset to you know perform and do the best we can with the tools that we have. So many of the naysayers who are on the sidelines of telemedicine may say, well, gosh, you know you don't have a foot lamp exam or you're not able to take a topography or check an IOP. But really, during COVID, we've been practicing what I call wartime ophthalmology. And in wartime ophthalmology, in times like this, what I want to know is, is can the patient see? Uh, is the patient having any real pain or something that would make them need to come in? Um, uh, do they have their medications? Do they need a refill? Um, these are all very important things that you can assess uh, with a simple uh, video chat with the patient. So. So as long as you ha are approaching it from that end, and as long as you are understanding that telemedicine is never going to take the place completely of an in-person exam, well, then your mindset starts to appreciate all the things that it can do, right? So, so often ophthalmologists focus on what technologies, what they can't do, instead of really focusing on what they can do and maximizing that potential as much. Absolutely, of course. So you, you do bring up a good point. And from what I understand, um, the telehealth, telemedicine, virtual appointments, they first kind of gained their heyday in dermatology, where someone could take a picture of a rash and send it over and say, hey, what do you think this is? Or they could do a quick FaceTime and kind of look a little bit more in depth and say, okay, yeah, that's very easily X, Y, or Z. Or, you know, I think it might be this, but it's really time to, to bring you in. So they were kind of just a, a pre like a pre-screening for whether an appointment was actually necessary or not. And I think once that gained its prominence, now, like you say, a lot of doctors are seeing that there is a lot more that this tool can, can offer them. So what are some of the changes either during, you know, the past couple of years of you started to do this or right now as you're doing it more and more that you've been able to latch on and do a little bit deeper dive with this particular form of medicine? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that certainly you realize its strengths and weaknesses. You realize what you can do and what you can't do, um, and you start to really kind of kind of focus on that. For us, you know, uh, one of the biggest things that's been useful for is triage because sure. you know these patients will get a call and they'll say, "Gosh, you know, um, uh, my, my eye is red and it's irritated, and um, you know, I got something going on." But we know that you know conjunctivitis and things like that can be a symptom of covid so to be able to kind of uh, you know look at that first before they come in is very important uh we had a guy that came in or that that was you know complaining of what we thought was dry eye over the phone and in fact he had a foreign body oh, uh, wow. right there in his cornea and i could see it very clearly uh through our telemedicine platform with the camera uh so we got to come in and he had to come in and i had to remove the metal from his cornea so um it's uh it's, it's very useful for triage in these times 
So that's something we should probably touch on too. The the technology in the past couple of years has advanced. It's while people are still doing like virtual visits through FaceTime or some other sort of uh, video app, the technology on your side, the practice side, has gotten a little bit better. So describe that in a little more detail. Like you were saying with this gentleman, where you could clearly see what were you able to utilize and what are the tools that you utilize to be able to see that clearly rather than just use like FaceTime. Yeah, so we use the Doxy.me platform, uh, which has been fantastic. Uh, the, uh, the pharmaceutical company Imprimis uh, was able to partner uh, with some of their, their uh, uh, customers and actually provide a service where we could use the clinical level of Doxy.me in order to perform these uh, audio-video synchronous phone calls, basically. And it provides a very high-definition image where uh, you can see the patient very clearly, much clearer than FaceTime and things like that. Um, and what's great is when the patient, when you have a good shot, when the patient uh, comes close to the camera, you can actually do an image capture. Oh, wow. And you can actually, ca you can actually capture a, a photo and then upload that to your EMR. So it's very useful. Uh, the platform also has a way to share your screen. So, for instance, if you're wanting to show, you know, the patient their last visual field test or their last, you know, OCT, if it's a macular degeneration patient, uh, you can actually do that very easily uh, by sharing your screen. So um, what I like about it as well is that it's more web-based as opposed to being application-based. So the, the worst thing is whenever you have to, you know, have a long phone call with an elderly patient to tell them how to go to the app store and how to download right. an app and get set up, et cetera. With this, with Doxy.me, all you do is send them a text message. They click the link, and boom, they're in your virtual waiting room. So uh, it's got a lot of different uh, wonderful features, but certainly the camera function is great. Excellent. So those are some of the, obviously, the benefits, and we'll probably dive into a couple more here. But what so far are you seeing for limitations and potential areas for improvement? Obviously, the technology is only as good as it, as it is at the moment. Technology continues to get better and better and better. The clarity of the images, I'm sure, is going to get better over the, the years as they develop better technology. But what are some of the limitations that you're actually seeing at this moment with this technology? Yeah, so for our the ones that we're using specifically, I think that their three-way calling could be improved. Technically, they offer three-way calling, but there seems to be a bug. It doesn't seem to be working quite as well. The reason I like that is because, you know, many surgeons like myself who are very busy or have a, have a good working relationship with their scribe, and their scribe is the one that's, you know, always taking the notes, and that way we can focus on patient care. Um, and we initially had that, uh, but when the scribe would kind of hop on the call, you know, someone would either lose audio or video. It was a little bit clunky and a little bit glitchy. So what we've done instead is when I'm talking to the patient via, you know, on my, on my uh, laptop, uh, my scribe, I have my scribe on the cell phone, on speakerphone. So she's listening in, but it's just me and the patient on the call. So I think three-way calling could definitely be um, uh, improved. And then um, other than that, um, it would be nice to have uh, uh, some integration into our EMR system. We use Modernizing Medicine. And as of now, you know, while my scribe's listening on the phone, she's, uh, you know, has her iPad out and she's in modernizing medicine, our EMR, typing everything in. But it'd be nice if there was some kind of way to kind of link it to Doxy.me so everything kind of, uh, you know, floats over there at some point. Um, that would be good, too. And then uh, perhaps lastly, um, uh, you know, I think that it would be good to get some other, uh, you know, forms of diagnostics uh, integrated, such as like a snow and acuity chart or something like that. There are platforms out there that do that. But, again, it, it requires, you know, a pretty um, tech-savvy patient because it uses, 
you know, AI and stuff like that. And they have to hold their phones in a certain way. So I don't know if it was right for my patient population, but, but I think that figuring out a way to um, seamlessly uh, integrate diagnostic tests, like, a, like tr- I could take a real vision test, I think that would be useful in the future. So as this technology develops, um, obviously at some point a patient is going to need to come into an office so you can do further further diag- um, diagnostic tests or just diagnosis in, in general. But do you see this becoming more of a standard, like this is, this is the first visit you'll do? We'll, we'll do it through a, a telehealth platform of some form, and then if necessary, then we'll bring you in. Like, for example, I guess where I'm going is, can you envision an entire LASIK consult all the way up until the, the actual surgery date being done through this form? Well, you know, uh, in the current form that we have, we wouldn't be able to do a full LASIK consult because, of course, we would need them to do, you know, topography and tomography and all right. the advanced diagnostics. So if there was a way to do all of that ahead of time or perhaps do that on a sort of a, in a hybrid model where the patient comes in and, and it's just them and the technician, they don't interface with anyone else and they can get all the images that we need. I think the only thing that I would really need other than that is a very high quality slit lamp examination. Um, um, and there are some, there are several uh, technologies out there now. Uh, my friend uh, Roger Zaldivar has been doing this for years in Argentina um, and he's able to get a real time uh, ultra high def a slit lamp exam, and it's performed by a technician in his, uh, you know, by his uh, uh, one on, on his team in Mendoza, Argentina, while he's in Miami watching it. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, if I had all that, I could probably do that. Um, I, I still think that I, I kind of like that face to face with with any surgical patients. Sure. I like to use that to uh, set expectations and talk about options and build rapport, etc. Um, I do think that the answer to your question of will this survive and will we still have use for this is an emphatic yes. I think that, you know, everybody's loved the idea of telemedicine. They just haven't really needed to do it up until now. At this point, they're kind of forced to do it. So um, I think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, crisis is sort of the the mother of invention. So, so, you know, I think that uh, it's a good thing as as to where I'll use it specifically. I love the idea of telemedicine in the post-op space. So for instance, you know, one day LASIK post-ops. I mean, you know, 99.9% of the time, my one-day post-ops from LASIK are seeing very clearly. They're extremely happy. You know, all I want to know is, are, you know, are you seeing better than ever? Is the eye quiet? Is there any redness or pain or anything like that? And if there's not, there's really nothing for me to do. So I, I think that one-day post-ops for LASIK can definitely go that way. Um, I also would argue that, you know, things like the, 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 uh, the one-month post-op for cataract surgery. You know, again, it's kind of one of those things where, at one month post-op, you should be seeing excellent, doing well, very happy. Um, I don't know that you really need to come in. And, and even you might even argue a one-day post-op for, for cataract surgery. So I'll do a high volume of cataract surgery. There's days where I'm doing you know, 35-plus cataracts in a day, and that means that's 35 post-ops to see the next day. So if there's a way for us to triage that to where perhaps all 35 don't need to come in the next day, and I can just do a t- quick telemed call with, with all of them, I mean, I think that'd be fantastic. Really, at the one-day post-op, all you'd be worrying about is pass, uh, you know, or you'd be worrying about uh, pressure. Those are the two things that you think about. And as long as you are, you know, very uh, cautious to do to check pressure on the table before the patient leaves with like a bare keratinometer or something like that, uh, the same thing that we use to check pressure, you know, for aura, 
you know, then I think that you can feel very comfortable not even seeing your one-day post-ops, but instead doing a telemed consult to make sure they're okay. Not to mention all those visits after cataract surgery are in the global period. So you're not even getting reimbursed for these visits. So you could, you know, and, and frankly, I don't know that they're medically necessary uh, to a large degree if you're able to have a really good uh, AV uh, telemed experience with the patient. Um, and then you could, if you had all those off your schedule, then you could fill your schedule with paying billable visits. So, you know, to me, I, I see this being huge in the post-op space. I also see it uh, still being uh, sticking around post-COVID for the uh, triage piece as well. You know, those patients that are coming in with, with, with conjunctivitis, you know, these are all people that, that I think that we could talk to over the, over the, uh, over the doxy.me platform. You know, as long as the you know, CMS and, and the HIPAA guidelines and everything, you know, remain relaxed like they are um, to some degree, I think that you're going to see telemedicine stick around. If everything gets super constricted and telemedicine can only be performed in certain places, and if the reimbursement goes back to, you know, what it was and it's not the same as in person, I don't think it's going to stick around except for very, you know, a very, uh, you know, niche, uh, niche, niche things. But if they can keep some form of what we have now, then I think the incentive is absolutely for patients to stay home and stay safe. And, and, uh, and it gives great efficiencies and, and, and maximum convenience to both patients and doctors. You bring up two really, really good points there. Point number one. Um, obviously, doctors need to get paid for their services, just like any other business, essentially. While you're doing good work and helping people, income is necessary for you to be able to continue to do that. So as telemedicine evolves, the payment level would have to still be able to support doctors being able to perform these particular procedures and help people out. So that's a fantastic point. As long as that continues to maintain a livelihood for doctors, then I think that would be that's a very easy way for this to go. The second is the convenience not only on the practice but also for the patient. When you go up, for, when you go for your post-op visit, that's essentially an afternoon, sometimes a day out of your entire life that you have to go just to have a quick 5, 10, 15-minute follow-up visit. And if you can make that only the 10, 15 minutes that it really should be, then I think that's going to be much more convenient for, for the patients themselves. They don't have to take a day off from work. They can just go and take their lunch break and have it done or, or whatever. So I think both of those are fantastic points. And and yeah. using that as as for post-op care is, I think, personally, a brilliant choice. And I think you're right that this is something that can very easily kind of help fill that niche as long as all the requirements are met, met et cetera. Um, so yeah. that's well, think about think about th think about this too. I mean, you know, even on even on the potential for pre-op side, I'm kind of having thoughts about you know working. I, I collaborate a lot with optometrists. Our practice was started by optometrists. I have you know nine optometrists that work with us and a few of uh, referring ODs as well. You know, what if you were able to set up? What if you're able to like rent a lane in an OD uh, in an optometrist's office and have that be you know the Williamson Eye virtual suite? where instead of a patient having to drive an hour to come see me for a cataract evaluation and then come back again for the surgery, what if all that can be kind of done virtually, um, uh, you know, in, in, a, in, in one lane uh, in an optometrist's office? And, and that would kind of limit uh, the patient having to, to drive long distances just for a quick eval. So, you know, I, I think that, that it, there, there's, a, there's a great uh, opportunity for ODs and MDs to collaborate on this and I would even say there's a great opportunity for general cataract surgeons and refractive surgeons 
to, to collaborate with MD subspecialists, such as glaucoma surgeons or sure. retina surgeons. You know, what if we had a, you know, we didn't have a, a, a retina doctor that came into our office, but we had a retina suite where, you know, we could set up, you know, our, our patients that needed potential uh, retinal intervention with, you know, wide field imaging and uh, OCTs, et cetera, and let them interface with a retina surgeon there. And that way, you know, we, they could decide whether we actually need to send the patient on for an in-person visit or not. So I think that, that, that there's, there's tremendous potential uh, for collaboration in the future, even after COVID with telehealth. And I think that's the key word there, because particularly if you're a refractive surgeon, collaboration is essential. You know, you get referred to patients for your expertise to decide what should be done or if anything needs to be done. And that collaboration sometimes because of distance can hinder the process, we'll say. And I think with telehealth, that'll, that will only enhance that collaboration. So I, I think you're absolutely onto something there, 100%. Um, obviously, now you're, we'll just touch on a couple quick quick fact areas um you're able to now charge for these visits because there's new there's like you mentioned there's an icd-10 code now for this um and so that does obviously help and incentivize the practices to be able to continue this as a practice both for yourself as well as for the patients how handy is that going to be moving forward for for you and your practice yeah i mean so right now i think the code is the 99213 or 203 depending on if it's a uh, a repeat visit or a new uh, a patient. And, um, you know, I, it, again, it's the, it's the same exact payment that you would get if they were in person. So uh, it's been a tremendous help that CMS and many of the commercial payers have, have relaxed that because it gives us the opportunity to uh, take care of these patients the safest way possible while everyone's sort of sheltering in place. So, you know, as long as that remains, um, I, I don't see any reason why, um, you know, ophthalmologists and optometrists won't continue to uh, do this for a variety of different diagnoses and, 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 and follow-ups. Perfect. Um, so we're getting close to wrapping up, so there's just a couple other quick things I want to touch on. Going back to the limitations for a moment, what I'm gathering is that at this moment, the only thing really holding this back from fully exploding and being an everyday incorporated tool is essentially the technology, and because obviously we're talking about eyes and the quality that you need to be able to see. There's very specific equipment that will do the mapping, that will do the visual fields, things like that. And as long as the technology comes to that same point or better, then this could, in theory, replace some of that expensive equipment that needs to be in the office, right? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's, it's an interesting question. You know, I think I need to stress that there will never be a replacement for an in-person visit with a doctor. You know, I just, I never, I, I just don't think that a, a, a telemedicine platform will ever replace the one-on-one doctor-patient relationship. You need the doctors there. Sure. Um, but I also think that, you know, what we do, uh, especially what specifically what I do with refractive surgery is, is very reliant on these advanced diagnostics such as anterior segment OCT, topography, tomography, uh, wavefront aberrometry, um, you know, uh, ray tracing technologies. I mean, there's so many different things that we use in our office to try and decide what vision correction technology is best for a patient. Um, so, you know, if those things can be done remotely and I can get very high quality images uh, of the results of that, 
um, you know, I can have a conversation with the patient over telemedicine. I can set expectations and talk about options. I can do all that. Um, so I think that there's definitely a place for, for, for all this. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, 20, 30 years from now, all this just isn't on an iPhone. I mean, some type of smartphone right. app that can give us great wavefront testing. And I mean, there's, there's apps now that do a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I think that there's a way to integrate all of it. I think there, that certainly uh, it makes sense. I think it makes fantastic sense, um, you know, uh, outside the U.S. and particularly in places, you know, like Africa, that, uh, you know, and, and that are in underserved areas. Um, I think that would be, you know, it's a, it's a complete game changer. But here in the United States, I think that we'll still always have uh, in-person visits. I just think that, you know, moving to some type of hybrid model um, where you combine telemed with an in-person, um, you know, is, is, is important. And any time that you can save um, the patient time and the, and, and the doctor time and make things more convenient, I mean, that's the way the world moves. I mean, you can order your groceries to your front doorstep now, right? Right. So you couldn't do that, you know, even, even you know, two years ago, people weren't doing that. So everything is going to be coming on demand. And I think that there's uh, uh, tremendous possibilities uh, with this. I also think there's tremendous possibilities in the education space. I was talking to my friend Gary Wirtz, who we do a podcast called Ophthalmology Off the Grid. And he was saying, he's like, man, you know, think about your grand rounds with, with, with ophthalmology programs across the country. You know, why is it, it, why is it that, that we just we only get to learn from, you know, our attendees at our institution? The only time we see anybody else is if we go to a big, you know, conference like Ascaris or something. What if, like, there was, you know, Zoom, uh, we could Zoom in to grand rounds at Baskin Palmer or someplace like that? Um, and, and what if we could literally hear from the, the, the number one expert in the world on each individual topic, you know, why is it that possible? And I think that, you know, now in the post-COVID world, everybody's Zoom experts. So I think <laughs> you'll see more and more of that. And there's tremendous opportunities in the education space, both both in the training side and and, all, and also, you know, with industry. You know, all these different webinars that industry is putting on, um, they're getting hundreds, sometimes thousands of participants uh, in these webinars. And, and certainly that wouldn't be the same for, for you know, if there was an in-person, you know, dinner meeting uh, at Ascaris. So, so I think there's a, a lot of opportunity. Uh, so I, I completely agree with you that the concept of uh, a patient and a doctor sitting down and having a conversation is, is never going to go away. I think it's essential and vital. Just that human connection, being able to look someone in the eye when you're having that conversation about your health is, is crucial. And I think that that connection um, is never going to go away. And I think that is al is almost as important as the procedure that's being done in the way that you're going to actually take care of their issue. That connection, that human connection is something that is just never going to go away. It's, it's yeah, vital. I, so I completely agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, I think there's, I think there's, you know, two things that a patient wants to know when they're having a consult with you for an eye surgery. How much is it going to cost? And, and am I going to be safe? You know, or am I going to go blind? Those are the two things on their, on their mind. Right. So nothing is going to put them more at ease than looking them in the eye like I do with every single patient. And as I walk out of the room, I shake their hand. This is pre-COVID. We, we used to be able to shake hands. I look them in the head, look them in the eye. I, I shake their <laughs> hand. And I tell them, I'm going to take excellent care of you. And, and that subtle little you know, assurance to them, I think, uh, buys you a lot of rope in terms of them feeling comfortable. And I can see them instantly you know, kind of be at ease. And you'll never be able to do that over a computer. Right. 
it's it's the trust factor. You know, when, when you look them in the eye and you tell them that you're going to take care of them, they, they're going to believe that, hopefully, and they'll, they'll end up trusting. And if they trust in what you're telling them and doing, it's just it just goes better for everybody. So I, I completely agree with you. Um, as we wrap up here, is there anything that I may have missed or something that you wanted to discuss about how you're doing it or where you see it going or anything along those lines? I'll yeah, give the, so, the end you know, part to you. I think I'll probably you. end with one of the biggest questions that, that, that we get at Williamson Eye Center. We, 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 we're, we're, we're first adopters and early adopters with all kinds of different new technologies, and we want to be on the forefront of everything that we do and do it well. So, so we're already doing some 100 consults per day. Um, doing telemedicine, which is about as much as anybody I've talked to. Um, and a lot of people are calling me wondering, gosh, how are you guys having so much success? And I think if there's one thing that I'd kind of end with in terms of a tip uh, for getting your telemedicine going for the ophthalmologist and optometrist listening to this podcast um, would be uh, be very, very careful with scripting on your call team. So whoever's manning your phones, um, you know, make sure that they understand the words and phrases to use to uh, you know, convey to them the importance of continuing some type of ongoing uh, you know, healthcare through telemedicine with your doctors. Because when we first got started, you know, we just kind of you know, we didn't really script them, and it, they were saying things like, "Hey, we have this thing called telemedicine. Would you like to learn more about it? Or you know, are you interested in having a telemedicine visit?" And as I mentioned, that, that's intimidating for right. a lot of you know elderly people. So instead, we just did simple changes and said, "Hey, you're on the books for 9 a.m. tomorrow with Dr. Williamson." Uh, you know, he still wants to see you at that time, and you're so lucky you get to do this uh, from the convenience of home, uh, which is super safe. All you need is a smartphone. He's just going to text you a link. Is that okay with you, or do you want to come at 10 a.m. instead? So just by being a little bit more direct um, with, hey, Dr. Williamson asked me to call you because he still wants to see you, um, and, and the scripting has helped. And also, if you have refractive counselors or people who are very good with, you know, uh, uh, interpersonal skills, have high emo emotional intelligence, these are the people that, that usually do a good job on the phone uh, explaining the importance uh, of telemedicine to our patients. So I hope that helps them, and, um, and I think that they'll watch their telemedicine uh, experience uh, get better and better. Brilliant. All right, so lastly, is there any sort of information you'd like to put out there for people to look you up if they have questions or want to talk to you about your success doing this? Yeah, and sure. Just you guys can find us at williamsonai.com, and I'm on Twitter at Dr. Blake Willie, also on Instagram, Williamson Lasik. Just shoot, shoot me a message if you have any questions, and I'll, I'll link up with you and help the best I can. Thank you so kindly. Dr. Williamson, I appreciate your time. I think you're doing fantastic and wonderful things. And once again, thank you very much for coming on. So uh, this is Daryl signing off. Thank you. And until next time. iTalk Audio is sponsored by Curious Conversations Marketing. Curious Conversations Marketing believes in the power of story. They help businesses just like yours tell their story in their way with their words. Curious Conversations uses the digital world to tell the story of your business. From the people to the product, let Curious Conversations assist you in telling the story of your business. Focused in the digital realm, from social media, reviews, and reputation management, an overall online presence, to creating, recording, and hosting, podcast just like this one. Learn more at CuriousConversationsMarketing.com.